so we've been talking about how to simplify our lives uh, this month. And one of the things that, that I think is important in trying to simplify your life is to begin at the end. Sometimes we get overwhelmed with life and we get caught up in the details of life and it's hard to determine, well, what's the most important thing that I should be doing with my life? And oftentimes we get caught up in these bunny trails or rabbit trails or maybe we even get on the wrong path. And sometimes it helps us to go to the end and say, so what am I trying to accomplish here? Um, sometimes uh, Carol or, or I'll get stuck in something and uh, she'll say to me or I'll say to her, can I help you? You know, and many times what it is is what do you want to do? What is it you're trying to do? What's the, the end that you're trying to accomplish? Because if we know that, then we know kind of if you're on the right track or not. And so that's kind of what we want to talk about this weekend. And so, so often we get so caught up in our, with the day-to-day life and we get overwhelmed with different things. And I don't know if you were to stop and think for a moment there's some things right now in your life that are kind of overwhelming you. It may be relationship. It may be a loss of somebody close to you. It may be your, your job, your career. It may be, I don't really know what it, it may be finance. It might be the weather outside. <laughs> Who knows what it is? But you just find yourself kind of overwhelmed with it all. And I just want to suggest that uh, that could change very quickly because if you knew tonight, if you knew this weekend, you knew that you only had a month to live most of those things that you're concerned about that you're overwhelmed with would take on a a whole different uh you you wouldn't care about most of them you would immediately say okay what's the most important thing that i need to be concerned about right now and in a sense that sometimes helps clear all the clutter of, of the being overwhelmed with life. And it sometimes helps us to simplify and to say, what is the most important thing? I appreciated the video with Jim sharing wanting to leave a legacy. With, and we're going to talk about leaving a legacy because I think that certainly is uh, where you get to the place where you say, well, what do, I, what do I want to leave for the people that I love? And what is it that I want them to remember me? And, and I think that's a good question to ask because you need to ask that question now. And you need to... That'll help you to kind of figure out what your path is and what it should be. So we want to look at a passage this weekend from Philippians chapter 3. So you might want to turn along and follow along with me. It's Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading at verse 4. And I'm going to go about 10 verses. But we're going to just kind of walk through this passage a little bit and just glean what Paul has to say. And this is the Apostle Paul. He was... Uh, very interesting, and he tells a lot about his life. And, and the way he, he, he kind of describes it, he talks about his life B.C., before Jesus, and his life after Christ. <laughs> so it's B.C. and A.C., right? Before Christ and after Christ. And there's this dramatic shift that takes place in his life. And you can read about it in the book of Acts where he meets Jesus on the road to uh, on, on, on a road and and Jesus, you know, basically says, Paul, Paul, why are you, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, uh, but let's just read this passage and you'll get a, a, an idea of how he, he breaks that into the, the BC life and the AC life. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, mastered it. I mastered the law. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, fruit faultless. But whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on take hold, to take hold for, on, of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let's just summarize what Paul's saying here. This is a lengthy passage of Scripture. First, Paul basically explains his early life. He was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what you do when you're a Jew, when you're a Hebrew. And he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a, called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's saying, no one excelled as much as I did. He, w- he would say, I was a Pharisee. Now, we think of Pharisee as a negative thing. Don't think of it as a negative thing. Think of, think of it as somebody who is a master of the law. He understands the, the law. He is a, a student of the law. He is a, a theologian. He is an understanding of, of all the teachings of the law. But he also said he persecuted the church. Um, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he says all these things that he was doing, all these, these, these things that he thought were the greatest thing and that he was way ahead of everyone else and that he was on the right track, he realized that he was on the wrong track. He realized that he was excelling at things that didn't matter. In fact, he calls them garbage. <laughs> he, because he had a new pursuit. And his new pursuit was for following and knowing and serving Jesus. One day on the road to Damascus, Jesus found him and his life did a 180. He became one of the greatest missionaries that the world would ever know. We have a number of New Testament letters that were written by Paul. He uses a word, it's interesting in, in this uh, passage in verse 3, it's uh, di- uh, dico, dico, uh, uh He uses it in verse 6. And he talks about how he persecuted the church, right? And then he uses it in verse, uh, uses it in verse uh, 12, where he says, now I press on. And in verse 12, he says, now I press on. In verse uh, 12 and 14, he says, I press on, I press on. So in other words, he says, at first, before Christ, I pressed the church. I pressed on. I persecuted. I, I went after it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And then he says, but after Christ, I went after Christ. 
I, I really went after Christ. I pressed on to the goal of knowing Christ. I pressed on to the call that Christ laid on my life. So there was a really, you know, the same passion. And, you know, that's the thing to understand. You can have a passion for something, but what's your passion for? You can have a passion for a very good thing. Paul's passion was very good. I wanted to be the best Hebrew I could. I wanted to be the best Pharisee I could. I hated Christians, and I persecuted. That, that in my mind, was the best way that I could be uh, use my passions. And he thought he was serving God. He actually thought he was serving God until one day God meets him on the road and Jesus says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And I'm thinking, Paul's going, persecuting you? I'm serving you, God. And, and, and so his life was turned around. Now, what did Paul find? He found that righteousness before God is not earned but it's found by faith in Jesus Christ. That was a new thing because he thought earning is what it's all about. I've got to earn my keep. I've got to earn my salvation. I've got to do the work. I've got to work hard. And what he found out was it was a gift. It was graciously given to him. See, Paul's life shows us, and this is important for us to understand, that everyone needs Jesus. No one is good enough. There's not a person in this room. There's not a person at this campus, at the Rosha campus, listening online. If you think you're good enough, if you just think you have a couple of bumps you've got to knock off, you've got to rethink that because the Bible says very clear that we all fall short. We all desperately need a Savior. And Paul was one of the most righteous people that ever walked on this earth. And he basically came to a place and he says, all my self-made righteousness, all my pursuit of righteousness is garbage. In other words, it didn't get me to God because I couldn't get to God. It was God getting to me. It was His grace, grace finding me. And there was no probably more religious person you could ever meet. And yet he needed to be converted. If Paul needed to be converted, everyone in this room needs to be converted. Everyone at Roshek needs to be converted. Everyone listening online needs to be converted. But I think our passage brings out two of the most important questions in life. And that's what I want to focus the rest of our time on. I think there's two questions that we often ask in life. And they're kind of this What's your life about? What's your life for? What, what makes your life significant? Why, why is your life important? These are the questions we generally ask. And, and the first one is this. What do you want to be when you grow up? Don't we ask kids this? What do you want to be when you grow up? Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kids say, well, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a, 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 a basketball player. I want to be a football player. I want to be... A, a great actor or a musician or, you know, they, they get the list goes on. And so I heard this story, a story about a, a, a class of first graders, and they, they were given an assignment by their first grade teacher, and the assignment was to draw a picture, and we won't put it up yet, draw a picture of the person that you want to be. So you had to write, who do I want to be, and then draw a picture of it. So this is the picture that she drew. All right, you get the picture? All right, so this is the letter that the mom sent in the next day because the little girl brought the picture home and said, Mommy, here's what I drew and took to school today. Okay? Uh, this is her letter, and apparently her teacher's name was Mrs. Jones. Dear Mrs. Jones, this is from the mother speaking to the teacher, I wish to clarify that I am not, nor have I ever been, an exotic dancer. 
I work at Home Depot. The other day, I told my daughter how hectic it was last hectic it was last week before the blizzard hit. I told her that we sold out every single shovel we had. But then I found one more in the back room and several people were fighting over who would get it. Her picture doesn't show me dancing around a pole. It's supposed to depict me selling the last snow shovel we had at Home Depot. From now on, I will remember to check her homework more carefully. It's true. It's exactly what she drew. Now, I don't know what your smutty minds were thinking. <laughs> but the question I want to ask you is, what dreams do you have for your children? Uh, you know, most parents have dreams for their children. And uh, you're, you're thinking, well, I want them to be successful. You know, I want them to be a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or a peace officer or a business leader or a coach or an artist. Paul was successful. Absolutely successful. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was the top of the ladder. In that society, in that Jewish Hebrew society, he was the top of the ladder. He was a, a moral person. Sometimes you say, well, I want my child, children to grow up to be good moral people. I want them to be good citizens, decent people, a person of integrity. Paul was a moral person. He was a decent person. He was a person of integrity. And he called it all garbage. <laughs> now, he wasn't saying that being successful in business or in arts or whatever it is, he wasn't saying that was garbage. He was saying that he, un he misunderstood what his pursuit was. He was on the wrong path. Um, you may even say, I want, to, I want them to be a person of faith. I want my children to grow up to be people of faith. I want them to believe in God. I want them to go to church. I imagine Paul went to synagogue. I imagine Paul believed in God. I imagine Paul read the Torah, the law. <laughs> okay? But Paul would say, but I didn't get it. I didn't get it. So when we ask our kids, what do you really want to be when you grow up? We're often only thinking about their careers, their families, their accomplishments. Paul had all of these. And he called them garbage. Why? Because he forgot, or he didn't know, the most important thing. See, pursuing career, family, accomplishments, and even, and even faith without knowing and following Jesus is living life in the wrong direction. Paul said, I had to do a 180. I had to repent. I had to, I had to look to Jesus. I, 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 did, I, was, I was on the wrong road and I didn't even know it. But I was on a moral road. I was on a religious road. I was on a good citizen road. I was on a, a successful mode. I was on the right road, but I needed to repent. Repent means that I turn from the direction I'm going and I turn to God. I do a 180. Now, most of our parent, most parents, their dreams are, I just want them to be on this road of success, this road of morality, this road of faith. And I just want to tell you, they can be on all three of those roads and be succeeding and be just like Paul. That's not what you really want for your kids. That's not what you really want for yourself. If you or the people you love grow up to be good, decent, moral, successful people, but they fail to know Jesus, you failed. 
Now, obviously, you're not responsible for the decisions your kids make. They have to make their own decisions. Hopefully, though, whatever your kids grow up to be, they will love Jesus more than anyone or anything. And if they do uh, that, they will love their spouses, they will love their kids, they will honor their parents, they will be good and honest and hard workers, they will be good citizens of earth and, and heaven, and they will live the life they were meant to live. Let me ask you a question. If you had a choice between your, your, your child being super successful, super good citizen, good family person, uh, moral person, a person who believes in God, whatever that means, or a person who is good person, struggling with things, wasn't kind of making it generally, but kind of plogging their way through life, but they had a real heart for, for, for the Lord. Which one would you choose? I mean, one that is doing well in every area, excelling in every area, but really doesn't understand who Jesus is. But one who does understand who Jesus is, but struggles. Doesn't always get it right. Doesn't always make it, the, do it the way you would do it. Or, or Which one would you choose? Because I'm, I'm afraid, I'm concerned that some parents, Christian parents, are, are on this track here. And that's the B.C. track. That's the track of, of Paul before he knew Jesus. And he says it's all garbage. Because if you're, if you're living just this side of heaven, then that's great. But if you're living beyond this side of heaven, if you're living forever, then there needs to be another type of relationship with Jesus. Paul says this, very interesting. He says this, and you can write this down, Ephesians 2, 8-10. through 10. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Those two verses, 8, eight and 9, just rocked my world when I was about 18 years old. Because I was on a path of kind of being a moral, decent person, hoping that I've done enough to be acceptable to God. And I read those verses and I realized it wasn't the path. I was on the wrong path. And I was shocked by that because I spent my, you know, 18 years of my life thinking that was the path. And then all of a sudden, somebody pulls the carpet out from under me and I'm going, what is going on here? And I realized it wasn't because of what I was doing, my good efforts, or even believing in God. Devil, James says devils do that. I really didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't know Jesus. I knew about him. I knew of him. I knew things that he, you know, that he was, but I didn't know him. And I gave my life to Jesus and it changed my life forever. And no, it wasn't like, okay, now you're going to be a pastor. No, it wasn't anything like that. But fundamentally, I did a 180. I had a, a BC, uh, AC change. Before Christ and an after Christ change. But then he, Paul puts this verse at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what that tells me is unless you know Jesus, unless He's your Lord, unless He's your Savior, unless you've given Him your life because He gave His life to you, unless that has happened in your life, you will never find the reason you were created. You will never understand why He placed you here and what your role is. 
And by the way, that doesn't mean necessarily you're going to become a missionary, a full-time pastor. That, that's not the point. The point is you will never find your purpose in life until you find the one who gave your life purpose. And I think that's the thing. We heard that in Jim's words about his grandkids. His point isn't, I hope they all learn how to play instruments and be able to sing songs. That wasn't his point. You heard his point. What was his point? I hope my kids are with me in heaven. I hope my grandkids are with me in heaven. I hope they have faith in Christ. That's, that, that's what it means to leave a legacy. See, God saved you for a purpose and He has a plan for your life, but you'll only find life in Jesus and find your life purpose by following Him. You were created by Him to be His masterpiece, but you can't be His masterpiece if you're not willing to allow Him to lead you. So that's number one. We often ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? That's generally what we ask. And, and, and all those things, all those pursuits are good things, but they're not. They, they, if we want to simplify our lives, we have to say, what is it we really want for our kids? What is the most important thing? And what choices are we making today in, our, in the lives of our kids today? Is, are they choices so they can be successful apart from Christ, apart from knowing Jesus? Or are they kind of based on, hey, this is the most important thing. If we could fit those other things in, great. But this has to be the cornerstone of what we're leaving, the legacy we're leaving with our kids. And you know what my concern is? I feel like parents are moving away from that. I do. It concerns me. Here's the second question. How do you want to be remembered when you die? <laughs> I've gone, I've done hundreds of funerals. And here's what I often hear. They're not bad things. What I often hear. He loved to hunt and fish. Big time Bears fan. Big time Packers fan. And they'll have the, you know, the team logos and stuff or the pictures of the fish. Or they'll say, and sorry ladies, because this is mostly the guys I'm going to pick on for a little bit. He was a good carpenter. Man, was he a good mechanic. Golfer. Oof, I think he was a scratch golfer. He was good. Or... She loved to cook. She loved to work in the garden. Yeah. I don't think she's cooking anymore. I don't think he's playing any golf anymore. Uh, from the looks of it, they're not doing much right now. It's, it, it, and I'm not trying to be smart here. I'm just trying to say this is like, is that what you want people to say at your funeral? I don't, okay, I don't. <laughs> Paul, Paul talks about finishing well. He says he lays it all on the table for Jesus. He found Jesus and followed Jesus uh, with a tenacious commitment. Now, let me just stop for a minute because whenever we talk about Paul or the disciples or Peter or we read these books that are written by people, you know, we read these books... Um, and how to grow in the Christian life, right? And uh, maybe you picked one up this year. You said, I'm going to become, uh, really, I'm going to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And certainly there is such a thing in the New Testament taught about discipleship. Absolutely. 
So the idea is, and, and some churches model this. We don't tend to model it here, but it's, it's not a bad model. It's just we just don't do it. Um, where you'll grab somebody, a master discipler will grab two or three disciples, and they'll say, well, Jesus did it with the 12. Okay, yeah, he did. Okay. And uh, we're going to meet together for a year, two years, three years, and at the end of it, you are going to disciple other people. You're going to lead other people, right? Now, that's not a bad model. But here's the problem that I have with that model. The idea is that sometimes, well, this, the idea is that once I'm discipled by somebody, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to disciple somebody else. What if I'm not a leader? Not everyone's a leader. I think the, the fact that you have a leader just assumes there have to be followers. So the idea is most of the books that we write about discipleship are written by leaders. And they say, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be a leader. And I think you've mixed two things. You brought them together that don't need to be brought together. It's one thing to be a disciple of Jesus. It's another thing to be a leader. Those are different tracks. A, a leader can be discipled. But a disciple isn't always a leader. And that's okay. Some of you are just common Corinthian cobblers. That's okay. You, you, you don't lead anything, but you're faithfully plugging away. You love Jesus. You love your wife. You love your husband. You love your kids. You're a good citizen. And you're trying to serve in the, in the, the, the church assembly. You're trying to uh, share the gospel as God gives you opportunities. You're trying to have an influence. It may be that you will be uh, an influencer of your children and one of your children will be a great leader. See, let's not mix those together. All leaders are disciples, but not all disciples end up being leaders. And I think that model, sometimes we feel bad because we get done with the messages, you all need to go out and be like Paul. Hey, guess what? I'm not Paul. And neither are most of you, I guess. We're wired differently. It's okay. It's not wrong. It's just different. We're not all leaders. But we can all be followers of Jesus Christ. We can all be disciples. We can all be Corinthian cobblers. We're not all going to be like Paul or Peter. But we can still serve Jesus faithfully and finish strong. And God loves Corinthian cobblers. Faithful followers who plug away at loving, following, and obeying Jesus. So there's three questions that I think we'll finish with, and I think they're in your notes. Three areas you need to finish well. The first one is, you need to finish well in your career. Um, sadly, we have a number of pastors that just are blowing up <laughs> lately, and it's just befuddling to me that, that that's happening, but it is happening. And I'm not going to pick on pastors, uh, basically, because there's plenty of other people that are just blowing up, uh, and I don't understand it. Uh, hopefully, you finish your career well. Uh, you 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 work hard. You have a track record. You're you have given a good word. You have been a good testimony of Jesus Christ in the workplace, um, and you have done a good job. Uh, secondly, you need to finish well in your relationships. We need to finish well in all of our relationships with our family and our friends and our coworkers. 
We need to do whatever is in our power to live at peace with others and to love and forgive them. And we talked about forgiveness a couple weeks ago. But the point I want you to see is that, that your role is not to hold hard feelings or anger or uh, try to get justice or retribution. Your job is to live at peace with people, not to put walls up to keep the walls down. Can't help what people on their side are doing with walls and how they behave and act. But you can change the way you behave and the way you act. So finish well in your relationships. Now, let me just give you, and it just kind of just popped into my head when I was preparing, and I thought it would be good that we talk about it just for a second. I think that you ought to have um, what I call a temptation exercise. Because many times we're tempted. And what I mean by that, the next time you're tempted to behave badly, Maybe you're out of town, you're alone at your computer at night, you're in a jam. Think how this sin that you're about to commit will play out if it's known by the people around you who you love. Think about the ramifications of what will happen if you get caught, if it's found out, if it's revealed. Because you're going to blow up more than just your life. Because the enemy basically says, don't worry, no one will find out, it will not affect anyone. The next thing you know, it blows up all over the place, and you're, you're not just shamed, your spouse is shamed, your family is shamed, your parents are shamed. Everyone around you is shamed. Christ is shamed. Think about that before you fall for the lies of the enemy that says it will not hurt anybody, it won't do any damage, no one will ever find out. It's amazing to me what's happening in our culture today. And I'm not making a statement, a moral statement here, I'm just describing something. All right, So let me say that one more time. I'm going to say something, I'm going to describe something. I'm not making a moral or a political statement here. I'm just saying what's going on in our society today. If you ever wore black face and you're in some sort of public office, you may as well resign right now. Because our culture basically says that's unacceptable. Okay? I'm describing here. I'm not telling you what I think about it. I'm just telling you that's it. So there are things that people have done in their past that they, they thought, well, this is harmless. This won't matter. And some, and it does matter. It's coming out today. And people that have done things in the past, all of a sudden, I'm running for this office and, and all this stuff comes out. You saw, maybe you saw on the news about this, this man who is a, um, a Native American in Washington and this other young man. I don't know what was going on there. I don't understand. So again, but they, what I see now is this man, his whole life has been brought out, dredged out before everyone to see. He's a criminal. He did this. He did that. And all I'm saying to you is that sin that you think no one's ever going to find out about, oh, they will. And it's going to destroy your kids. And it's going to destroy you. That's what the enemy doesn't want you to think about. So, you want to leave a legacy? Think about that before you do something dumb. Here's the third one. Finish well in your faith. Paul says this. 
Finish well in your faith. He says this, For if I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Paul basically is saying, to the best of my ability, I have finished the race. I have finished my faith. And I've done my best. John Maxwell says, nobody finishes well by accident. And that's why I said, you have to, if you want to simplify your life, you begin by saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? And secondly, how do you want to be remembered? And many times that will clarify all the other things that you're concerned about and all the other things you're overwhelmed about. You say, is this the most important thing in my life right now? If I had a month to live, would this matter? Determine that your legacy begins today. Because it does. And it's never too late to leave a great legacy. It's never too late to take responsibility for the mistakes you've made, for the sins you've, you've done, for the pain you've caused. Is it one of the things in alcohol, I don't know what step it is in AA, is that you go and you apologize to the people you've harmed? Well, maybe you need to do that. I don't know. But you, you're leaving a legacy today. The question is, what legacy are you leaving? Paul says, I finished the race. I hand it off. And what are you handing off to your kids? What are you handing off to the next generation? What's, what are you handing off? Or are you handing off anything? Have you dropped the baton in the middle of the race? Well, pick it up and let's go. Stand with me. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because uh, this is so important. And... Uh, it really does help us to cut through all the things, the, the noise of life, the busyness of life. Help us to focus on what is the most important to do. Help us to weigh the decisions we make by how it's going to affect the people around us and our legacy and your legacy in our life. We need your help, Father. We can't do it without your help. But we ask for your help and we ask for your guidance because we need it. We need your Holy Spirit to make us quick and aware of what is going on. Help us sometimes, Father, when we're busy and we're overwhelmed, to open the door when you knock and to allow your Spirit to speak to our soul about what we need to do at that moment. Help us to be cognizant of your voice. Guide us, Father. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.